0: But Matthew chapter number 19, go down to verse number 16 and read with me and we'll pray and then we'll have a seat. The Bible said, And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good things shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? Don't you love it when people answer your question with a question? There is none good but one, that is, God, but if thou will enter into life, keep the commandments. And he saith unto him, Which? Jesus said, Thou shalt not do murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The young man saith unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I? Yet, and Jesus saith, said unto him, if thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man had heard these saying, that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. When his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus beheld them, And said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Let's pray. to Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be in church. We thank you, Lord, for our song service. And we thank you, Lord, that we are able to lean completely and totally upon your promises. God, they do not falter. They're not flimsy. They will not flake out on us. And I pray, Lord, this morning that you'd have it behind the cross of Calvary God, would you just simply use me for your glory, empty me out of myself and fill fill me with the Spirit of God. Uh, Lord, for some of us, Lord, it has been a long week. It's been things that have taken place this week, God, have aggravated us. Lord, they've upset us. But I pray, Lord, just for a few moments this morning, God, will we get our eyes back in tune with you, back focused on you. Lord, you have not let us down this week. Lord, you've been faithful to us this week. Lord, you've loved us with a love that is unstoppable this week. God, your mercy was real to us. Your grace was sufficient. And God, your presence was felt this week. And I pray, Lord, this morning, God, that we just simply remind ourselves what wonderful things we have in you. And I pray, Lord, this morning as we preach the word of God, would you work in hearts on an individual basis. Lord, as I preach to the congregation, God, would you speak to individual hearts this morning. And Lord, if there's somebody here today that doesn't know you as a personal Lord and Savior, God, would you save them by your grace. And Lord, those of us that are here this morning that are saved, God, would you give us a burden to witness to the lost and dying world. Lord, we know how to have and how to get and obtain eternal life, but those around us don't. Father, help us this morning to be faithful in our witness. Lord, we love you, we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. You may have a seat. Thank you again for standing as we read God's word. And Matthew chapter 9, verse is 16 down through 26 is... A, an event that is recorded in three out of the four gospels. It is found in the book of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The only gospel that's not found in is, is the book of John. But we come here and we find a young rich ruler. And he's a young man and he's, he's given the opportunity to ask the Lord a question. And let me ask you this morning, if you could only ask the Lord one question. It's all the only question you're allowed to ask. It's the only question that you will be able to ask. What would you ask the Lord this morning? Some of us would probably ask to explain a certain scenario or a certain uh, condition or situation that happened to our Lord. Lord, why did this happen? Or maybe we would ask him to explain a certain attribute of himself. God, you are holy. Could you please explain to me in detail what does that mean? God, you are gracious. Lord, could you please explain in full explanation what your grace really is? We understand this morning that what we do know about God is wonderful and good, but we have yet to, to go past the tip of the iceberg on how great God really is. and Maybe we'd ask him to explain who he is. We would ask him to explain something that is difficult to fully understand. God, could you please explain to me in a way that I could easily grasp and understand exactly what the Trinity is? Now, we know the Bible said it is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. Three in one, we understand that it's one, but our finite mind can't fully grasp that. We, 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 we try our best to understand it, but maybe if we ask that, we ask that question, Lord... Could you please explain some things that are hard for me to understand? That would be a very difficult thing to determine or to settle upon if you only had one question that you could ask him. One question. How many are glad at this point that we know that's not the case? i I mean, glad this one that whatever questions arise in our heart whatever concerns and issues that might come across our heart and our mind you and I can come boldly before the throne of grace and say Lord I don't understand this Lord I need help with this Lord why this and why that he is God enough to answer every question that you and I could pose to him do we do we have to be honest that sometimes his answers are not what we expect They're not even necessarily what we like, but we know his answer is always right. But here we are introduced to a young man who has the opportunity. He is given the floor to ask Jesus a question. And what a question he asked. He said, what shall I do that I may have eternal life? Master, good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? life? It seems like a pretty good question to ask. It seems like a, a, definitely a, a wonderful question And Here's the thing, he came to the right person to ask. There, he, he could have went to the disciples and no doubt the disciples probably could have gave him a, a sufficient answer but he's appealed to the one who within himself possesses life eternal. And he says, good master, what good thing must I do to have Eternal life. In Luke's gospel, he says, what, what what, good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? And he, he, he's come to the right person to ask. And as I was preparing and praying about the service, I was reminded of a conversation I had earlier this week with a man concerning this very topic of eternal life. I said, sir, do you know whether or not you're going to heaven when you die? He said, I sure hope so. I said, "Well, the Bible tells us He's written it for us that we may know that we've passed from death into life; that we have life eternal." Now I was reminded there's a lot of people out there who don't know the answer to that question, let alone the concern to ask it. And we feel we find this young rich ruler. He has come to Jesus with one question: What must I do to have? Eternal life. And as we go through it this morning, as we observe this man, we'll notice some very plain realities uh, that will help us understand some much-needed truths about the question and the impact that it had. Notice number one this morning, the comfortable position of this young man. Verse number 16, the Bible, we're told here, that, it, that, and behold, one came and said unto him, now you line this up with the other gospels, we find out that this is a young man. He is a he's a he's a he's a good man, but he he doesn't necessarily come to Jesus like some of the others have in the Word of God. You read Mark's account, the Bible said he comes and he he kneels down before the Lord and he poses this question because a lot of times I feel like this man strolled up with arrogancy. What must I do? Now, on top of everything I've already done, to have eternal life. But when you read Mark's account, he, the Bible said he comes and he kneels down before him and though he is, he is sincere and though he is, he, is, he is definitely evaluating in his own heart, he is concerned, but we find him, he, he doesn't come to the Lord in a, in a scenario or situation like the Gadarene demoniac came to him who was out of his mind or Mary Magdalene who was possessed with seven devils he doesn't come to Jesus like the woman at the well. He doesn't come to Jesus like blind Bartimaeus who's got a, a great apparent lack and, and he knows that Jesus is his only source or the woman with the issue of blood who crawls through the crowd to touch the hem of his garment. No, this young rich ruler comes and sits before Jesus and he's trying to intellectually process and figure out what must I do to have eternal life. And what a question to be asked from a man who is living in the position that this young man is living in. Because notice his description, the Bible said he was young, verse number 20, tells us the young man saith unto him, he is in the peak of life. He, the, 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 the issues and the problems of aging have not caught up with him yet. He does not ache and crack and creak when he gets out of bed in the morning. He, he is able to do as he physically desires because he has the ability to do so. He has vitality. He has vigor. Age has not caught up with him. He's physically able to do as he pleases. Not only was he young, but the Bible said he was rich. For he had great possessions, what it says in verse number 22. Either nowadays we drive by people, we say, man, they must be rich. As I've grown older now, I'm thinking either they're rich or they're way into debt. And I'm not sure if there's a difference between the two nowadays. No, no, but he lived. Here's the interesting thing. He's young and yet he's, we understand his, he's more than likely a Jew because he has an understanding of the law that was given to Moses, the Ten Commandments, he he understands it, he knows it, and so if he be a Jew living in a society that is controlled and governed by the Roman government who came in and taxed the people and took everything from them, yet somehow this young man has great possessions. He's got a great amount of wealth somehow. He's amassed a great amount of wealth in a short time. He's young, he's rich. The Bible said in Luke chapter 18, verse 18, he was a ruler. Not the measuring stick, but rather he was a governor. He was a a legislative person. He was a leader of the people. uh, This young man in a short time frame has climbed the ladder of success. He is some, he's a mover and a shaker. He's, he's on the who's who. If there was a Forbes magazine, he probably would have been on it. But now the Bible said he's young, he's rich and he's a ruler. Matter of fact, he has everything that we train our children to aspire for, to reach for, right? Is that not the American dream that in America, it doesn't matter who you are and where you come from, with enough effort, enough hard work, you can make something out of yourself. You can make money. You can make yourself a position of power. You can do so at a young age. If we're going to be honest this morning, as Americans, we are afforded opportunities that you don't find anywhere else in the world. I encourage you to go step into a foreign country and talk to their children. What are your dreams? I just hope to survive. I hope to live by the age to the age of 30. Can I say that's not how I grew up? I grew up as a young boy aspiring to be something great. I thought I was going to be the next Chipper Jones. I thought I was going to win the Super Bowl. I thought I could be President of the United States. And here's the reality. Though some of those would probably be improbable today, they are not impossible because we live in a land of opportunity. But here's this young man who has everything that we as Americans oftentimes desire and aspire for. But not only his description, but notice his dedication. Chapter, verse, uh, verses 17 through 20, he was a serious young man. He didn't play with this thing. He was serious about who he was and what he, what he desired to do. He asked Jesus, what things shall I do that I may have eternal life? Into verse 17, Jesus says, keep the commandments to which this young man responds, which? Which ones should I keep? So Jesus answers him, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother, and love thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And what does he say in verse 1? I've kept these things from my youth up. Here's an interesting thing. I got to think about this. This young rich ruler is everything, once again, that we are trying to teach our children to do and to be. I mean, listen, if you've got a child that doesn't commit murder, that doesn't commit adultery, that honors you, that doesn't steal and doesn't lie, I think you've raised a pretty good kid. Matter of fact, it'd be a kid I think any parent would be proud of. But what we have to realize when we're training our children, we're not just training them to be good, productive citizens in America or in society, but there has to be an aspect of eternal life tied to it. Because if you and I teach them to be good, but never introduce them to Christ into his eternal life, we have failed as parents. This young man was dedicated. He had a clean record and a wonderful testimony. He made conscious choices to do right. He was set apart. He was different from everybody else. But then notice his discernment. In verse 20, he says, I've done all this. Could you imagine being a young man at his age, having all that is, he has and accomplished all that he's accomplished and to have the record that he has, and yet he had discernment. He said, there's one thing I know I don't have. It's eternal life. I don't have it. He said, I haven't found it in my riches. I haven't found it in my position. I haven't found it in my power. I haven't found it in my clean record. He said, I know there is something that I lack or that is keeping me from having eternal life. Boy, how many remember the day when you realized all that money you had didn't matter? All that power you thought you had didn't matter? All that you thought you'd accomplished had, didn't really matter because in the first time in your life, you realized that you were a sinner on your way to hell and your money couldn't fix it, your power couldn't solve it, and people couldn't help you. You can't realize, what am I missing? What am I missing? Let me ask you this morning, do you have eternal life? Or are you afraid because there is something or that is something that you're lacking this morning? We see this comfortable position, a young man, he said, how can I have the one thing that I'm lacking? Not that, notice not only the comfortable position of this man, but notice the challenge raised by Christ. I said it, Jesus answers his question with a question. Now let me ask you, why didn't Jesus just give me eternal life? I mean, blind Bartimaeus, thy my, my, my faith has made thee whole. You can see it, he dried up the uh, woman with the issue of blood instantly and she was healed. The ten lepers, as they went to the priest, were instantly healed by Jesus. And yet here comes this young man who has flung himself down at the feet of Jesus and saying, what do I lack? And Jesus could even say, me. You lack me. But Jesus raises a challenge to him. Or he challenges his thinking. He he, he, he's trying to help you and I understand, yes, grace and salvation is free, but it is not given out flippantly. It is not something that you and I do on our timetable. It is not at our bidding or at our at our, our our schedule this morning. We understand that God is holy and God is sovereign. And when he pricks our heart, the best thing we can do is listen and obey. But we see here this morning that, that and in order for Jesus to clearly get his point across to this young man, he raises some challenges to this young rich ruler's thinking. First of all, he challenges him with a question, verse number 17. And he said unto him, why callest thou me good? And if you would have stopped right there, this young man could have gave him a lot of different answers. Well, you've got a crowd following you. You've got disciples coming after you. The government hates you. You must be doing something right. You are good, but Jesus doesn't leave it right there. He goes on to say, for there is none good but one. That is God. Preacher, why, why did he say that? He was trying to see where this young man's heart, his young man's mind was. There was many people who came to Jesus simply for a healing. There was many people who came to Jesus simply because they thought he was gonna overthrow the Roman government in just a matter of years or days. There were some that came to Jesus because, no doubt, what he, what he taught astonished them. It was something they'd never heard before. But in order to get salvation, you have to come believing that Jesus is God. And here he's brought this young man to that decision. You called me good, but there's only one good, and that is God. So do you really believe that I am he? That in the flesh stands before you God God? Almighty. It's a searching question. He says there's only one who is truly good, and that is God. Are you just being polite? Are you trying to butter me up? Are you trying to flatter me? Or do you truly believe that I'm God? Which is essential to believe if you desire to have eternal life. Not only does he challenge him with a question, but he also challenges him with an instruction. Verse number 21. Jesus said unto him, if thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast and give to the poor and thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Now let me ask you, I didn't read that verse in the Romans Road. Someone comes to me for salvation or preacher, the Lord, I I need to get saved. I don't say, well, go to the house, grab everything you have and sell it and give to the poor. That's That's not in the plan of salvation. When I got saved, the preacher didn't tell me to do that. Matter of fact, he said, believe in thine heart and confess with thy mouth, and thou shalt be saved. So is Jesus giving us a different gospel while giving this young man a different gospel? No. But on the surface, it may appear as so, but really, what he was trying to get this young man to understand, not just that he had to believe that he was God, but if he was willing to completely and totally depend upon him, or depend upon the Lord, is how I should say it this morning, it is required for you to sell, is it required for you to sell your stuff to be saved? Well, of course not. But is it required for you and I to wholly and completely depend upon the Lord for salvation? The answer to that question is yes. It is completely and totally by faith. And faith is putting all of your trust upon and in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for you on the cross of Calvary. You cannot pull that out this morning and still have salvation. That is a, an essential thing for it. But I wrote this down. You do know what is necessary. It is depend upon the Lord. We see that he challenged his dependency. He told him to sell everything. Or get rid of it all. Go and sell it and give to the poor. In order for him to do that, he would have to be willing to depend upon the Lord to provide for his daily needs if he got rid of everything he had. So he challenged his dependency, but he also challenged his direction and follow me. And follow me is what he says right there at the end of verse 21. And come and follow me. What an interesting interesting direction. What an interesting instruction because it's the same instruction he gave to Peter, James, and John. Come and follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. But in order for this young man to do that, he had to get himself out of the way to say, I've been living for myself, my goals, my aspirations. I've got riches. I've got power. I've got vitality. And Jesus said, if you really want eternal life, you're going to to leave all that behind and come and follow me. He challenges instruction. He challenges dependency. He challenges direction. Let me ask you, what are you trusting in for eternal life this morning? Oh, preacher, mama and daddy brought me to church. Grandma, grandma, grandpa bring me to church or, uh, you know, I, I, I pay my taxes, preacher. I, 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 I faithfully attend, I go to Sunday school preacher, that's, I'm going to, no, 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 no. Salvation is not in what you and I can do, it's what Christ has done for us. And it's you and I wholly and completely depending upon that this morning. And so we see the challenge that was raised by Christ. And notice number three this morning. We see the unfortunate choice that was made. We see the unfortunate choice that was made. Now how many, love, how many of us love to have a story that hasn't happened ending? Well, we all like it. That if you've ever watched a fairy tale movie, then you obviously you like that. Well, that's what we desire, and thankfully, this story does have a happy ending. Just not for this young man, not for this young rich ruler. Notice his expressed rejection. Look at verse 22. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful because Jesus couldn't save him, because Jesus didn't have enough power to save him. Because Jesus wasn't willing to save him. Because Jesus was not willing to give him eternal life. Now, the Bible said he went away sorrowful. Why? He had great possessions. There was an expressed rejection. Now I want to say this more great possessions aren't bad until they possess you. Until that's what you live for. You have to put the things of God on hold because there's something that I want or something that I desire. Imagine what that must have been like at the end of his life. There he is. Surrounded by all his stuff. He's moments away from eternity. Knowing that he lacks eternal life. All that stuff he left Jesus for probably lost its value. Probably was not as meaningful to him anymore. And we're living in a generation at a time where so many people are fixated on Stuff as one who is stand uh, stand before a congregation with a casket laying before me, I've never seen any about, anybody walk up there and say, boy, boy, I'm so glad you had so much stuff. I'm glad you had so many things. <laughs> I've never stood up before the congregation and said, You know what makes me feel better about all this that's taking place? Yes, it's hard, and yes, it's difficult. But I just want to thank God he had many things. He had a bunch of stuff. He had possessions. No, what brings comfort at a funeral is when I'm able to stand up with a clear conscience and say, this person knew the Lord. This person had eternal life. And I say that's the only thing that really brings comfort and it brings joy into the congregation. But here's an expressed rejection. Stuff loses its value when you're about to face eternity without Christ. Especially when you know you could have chosen Christ, when he gave the express invitation, "Follow me, depend upon me, and you'll have eternal life." His expressed rejection. Then notice his expressed reality. He's walking away sorrowful. And Jesus looks around, those who are watching, and he realizes, or he, he understands this is a wonderful teaching moment. The Bible says right there in verse number 23. And Jesus said unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. They are watching this young rich ruler walk away. I mean, you got to (laughs) understand... These fellows have left everything. These fellows are following Jesus. They are learning from him. They are a disciple. They are a student of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's express reality, Jesus said, the reality is it's going to be very hard for rich people or those who are in love with their possessions and controlled by the possessions to enter into the kingdom of God, to go to heaven when they die. Why? Because that's what they're dependent upon. The express reality that Jesus teaches here is that pride is the root cause of every person who will go to hell this morning. I know better, I'm capable, I have the ability, uh, I, I will impress God. One of the greatest things I've ever learned in my Christian life is that nothing I do impresses God. Nothing I do or say or achieve in my life, God says, wow, didn't know you could do that. You want a plaque? You want an award? Here you go. No, the express reality is that I know that I need the Lord. And here's the thing. We, we often think, well, preacher, of course, it's easy for me to believe. I'm broke, preacher. I'm poor. But the reality is we live around people who are in the same social economic background as we are who think they're rich who think they have more than enough. And it is not the possessions that are keeping them per se from receiving eternal life. It's their pride. I don't need that. That's not a requirement for me. And then Jesus gives this wonderful illustration. He said, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to go to heaven. I read a book not too long ago and it was about ancient customs. And a guy, the man that wrote I can't tell you his name, but he he wrote in the story, he talked about how oftentimes when we read this account we think of a literal camel in a little literal sewing needle with an eye in it. (laughs) Boy, if you got thumbs and fingers like mine, sewing is not a hobby that I need to pick up. I can't, I can't even get a thread through the eye of the needle, let alone a camel. But I read this, uh, this man's account and he, this man's story. And he said in those Middle Eastern walls back in the Bible days, they had a main gate and during the day that was let down and you could go in and out freely. But at nighttime, they would close the main gate and to the side of it was a smaller gate just big enough for a man to fit through. It was called the eye of the needle. And here, and I read this account, and I began to listen after this, and I said, Man, this is wonderful. This is great. This is a, a wonderful illustration, and no doubt it was probably true, and it was probably, uh, no doubt, I'm not saying those things weren't there, but they were. But then I was getting ready for this, and I was listening to Jay Bernard McGee. I, I have some of his commentaries. When I read them, I can hear his voice. He just got one of those distinct voices. But I was listening to him preach on this subject, and he said, here's what he said. He said, Now you've probably heard a story about the eye of the needle being in the wall of the city wall. And, and he said, I want to let you know that's not what Jesus was talking about. I said, hold on a second. <laughs> that man wrote a book about it. He said, though it was highly improbable for a camel to go into the eye of the needle of a wall, he said it was it was possible with a hard enough work and enough effort, enough people pushing through. He said, no, he said he firmly believed that Jesus was talking about a camel and the eye of a sewing needle. And he said, really, he said, I, he said, I derived this understanding because of how the disciples received it. Verse 25, and when his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, who then can be saved? They could have looked at the wall and said, you know what, yeah, that's, that's difficult, but with enough work, you could get a camel through there. They would have said, well, that is highly improbable. But they stepped back and said, this is impossible. There's no way a camel could get through the eye of a sewing needle. And can I say that is an impossibility? And probably there's some scoffer that says, well, how big is the needle? (laughs) You build a needle big enough, you can get a camel through it. But they said, they've been following the Lord. I mean, they, they left wife and family behind and they're saying, I'm not even sure I'm saved now. How can we be saved? He said, you can't put a camel through the eye of a needle. And Jesus said, well, don't worry about it. He expressed reality that yes, it is difficult for those who are allowing their earthly possessions to rob them of life eternal to get into heaven. There's an express reality, but there's an encouraging revelation. He said, who then can be saved? It's impossible. We'll go down to verse 26, Jesus beheld them. <laughs> Jesus looked at them. <laughs> we have those ups rules at Good News Club. One of them is look at me. Look up when I'm talking to you. That way I know at least you're somewhat paying attention. And Jesus didn't tell them, look, Jesus looked at them. Could you imagine looking at those eyes? But he's not condemning them. He's not condescending towards them. He looks at them and says, listen, here's how you can be saved. Trust God to do the impossible. What he says right there in verse 26, but Jesus beheld them and said unto them, with men this is impossible. Oh, men could shove a camel through that eye. Men men could take the, the things off of them and push them through the wall of the city. But only God could do something like putting a camel through the eye of a sewing needle. But don't worry, he can He has the ability to do so. He told him, hey, calm down. With men, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. Preacher, what must I do to have eternal life? Trust that God can do the impossible with you. It's impossible for you and I in our own ability to get to heaven. It's impossible for you and I to do enough right to please God by ourselves. Matter of fact, if we gathered up all of our right and try to mount it up this morning, The Bible said it's nothing but filthy rags. I don't know about you, but we don't like to show off our trash, do we? We don't come to church with our trash bags in our hands. Look at my trash, y'all. My trash is better than your trash. Who cares? It's still trash. Nothing we do by ourselves could amount to that. Matter of fact, it would be impossible for you and I to get to heaven by ourselves. With men, it is impossible. With God, it is very possible. He died for you. He shed his blood for you. He was the willing sacrifice for you because he knew you could not do it for yourself. I'm thankful this morning that God did the impossible for me. And now what ought to be an impossibility for me to have eternal life? I have this morning, why? God did the impossible. One question, what must I do to have eternal life? Trust God to do the impossible. Let's all